And there's now turn back to the chapter we read a moment ago in uh, the Gospel according to John, chapter 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. Magnets are something that is almost magical in their properties. There's something quite amazing about the way two pieces of what looks to be a metallic substance just draw themselves together. And trying to explore magnetic fields and even the, the magnetic poles of the planet let alone the, the connection between then magnetics and electri electricity. All these things I find personally um, between somewhere between fascinating and bewildering and quite confusing. And although I can see it and admire it, how to understand it, and certainly I wouldn't pretend to be the person to explain that to you. And I'm sure you're thankful for that I'm not a physics teacher in any sense. And Yet there is a drawing that is far more marvelous and wonderful than magnetism. Something far more beautiful and intriguing and exciting and enlightening. And that's why our text is in verse 44 of John 6 tonight, because it speaks about the Father drawing the sinner to Christ. What a wonderful attraction, what a wonderful magnetism is this divine act of God. How does that happen? How is a sinner drawn to Christ? When you see someone and they're beginning to take an interest in the things of the gospel, when they're beginning to pay more attention to church or even just come to church, when they're beginning to not fall asleep but listen, when they're beginning to read their Bibles, when they begin to think about the needs of their soul, when you see them change from being disinterested to at least partly engaged, when they're willing now to open to some extent and what is happening? They are being simply drawn to the Lord Jesus. How do we explain it? Well, tonight, I want us to consider these words of our text and ponder what it is that is happening when a fallen, lost sinner begins to be drawn to the wonderful Savior, Jesus. And I hope this will itself encourage any who are unsaved here tonight. May you indeed discover and experience what it is like to be drawn to the Savior. I also hope it will be an encouragement to praying Christians who are particularly fearful for your loved ones who seem to have no interest. You've longed, you've prayed, you've pled with the Lord. They're not yet converted. Oh, that he might yet draw them. And we trust it will also be of use to doubting believers who are afraid they've never been drawn to the Lord. And may this show you that you are, in fact, drawn to Christ, Christ even to a doubting believer. He is not nothing to you, is he? Rather, your affections and your interests are tied in to that of the Lord Jesus. We've got three points tonight, but the second one will be our longest, and most of our focus will be on that this evening. First of all, though, Man's inability to come to Christ. Our first point is man's inability to come to Christ. 
The fact that Jesus here speaks about the Father drawing sinners to Jesus tells us that it takes the Father to do this, that only God could draw a sinner to Christ. And that's despite the loveliness of Christ. He is, the Bible tells us, the chiefest among 10,000. He is perfect and holy and harmless and undefiled. He is God and man in two natures and one person. He is magnificent, glorious, beautiful, and yet we as sinners are simply not drawn to the Lord Jesus by nature, as we are. By nature, we see no beauty in him that we should desire him. We don't want him to be our Lord. We don't want him to be our Savior. We want him to leave us alone. So we have to start with this point, which is man's inability to come to Christ. Let's define our inability. What do we mean by saying you cannot, you are unable to come? Well, because you and I are fallen from a state of righteousness, goodness, holiness, fallen into a state of sinfulness and misery. And because we come into this world in that condition, we come into it sinful and broken and under the curse of the law of God, we do not have any love for the Lord God. We cannot. We are incapable as we come into this world of loving God because loving God is good. It is good to love God, and we are fallen into sin by nature. We cannot do good because we can't rise above our fallenness. We can't outdo it. We can't outrun it. We can't escape it by ourselves, and therefore we cannot do a good thing, and loving God is a good thing, and therefore we cannot love God, and we can't love his son, Jesus. And so we need to be drawn to Christ because of ourselves, we never would go to him. And that's no fault of his. That is no slur upon his magnificence. It is we who do not want him, who do not love him, who do not see that he's of any use to us, of any interest to us, of any benefit for us. That's what we mean when we say we are unable, we have an inability to come to Christ. But I also don't want not just to define it, I want to try and describe it. And you may recognize this in your experience. What is it like being unable to go to Christ? In a word, it's a curse. It's a curse. The lack of interest in Jesus is itself part of God's curse upon fallen mankind for sin, or at least part of the evidence of God's curse. If you cannot see, you are blind. When you can't enjoy fine food, you've lost your taste. When you cannot delight in beautiful music, you have no ear to hear. You have no appreciation for the fineness of the musicianship. So when you cannot see the beauty of one who is lovely, 
who is more lovely than anyone you have ever seen, then the issue is with us. We are cursed. And that is not a random act of God. It is not a vengeful, spiteful act of God. It's not an arbitrary decision that we've just ended up with somehow. It is a judgment of God exercising his justice against us. Your lack of delight as a sinner in the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact itself an evidence that you are under the judgment of God. Because Christ is the judge of all the earth. Therefore, we fear him by nature. We're afraid to be, come under his judgment. We're afraid to stand up to the measurement of his law and his holiness. And we could never imagine going to him of all people because we're afraid of his, the law that is in his hand. We run from those who have the authority to punish us especially when we know we are guilty. And he is the judge. And so we are condemned. When we do not have a love for the lovely, when we do not enjoy what is marvelous, when we don't take pleasure in what is pleasant, then there's something wrong with us. And we are under a severe Condition and condemnation. Man cannot come to Christ because we do not want to come to Christ. We do not want him to be our savior. We do not want there to be no way but Christ. We don't want to need him. We don't want to serve him. We don't want to admit and repent before him. We don't want to love him. We want to manage without him. We want to vindicate ourselves despite him. And so man lives under a curse. Man lives under a judgment and a condemnation. He neither wants Jesus nor wants to want him. Even under the threatenings of the judgment, even though you have been pled with under the gospel so often and implored and beseeched to come to Christ, even when you have at times under the gospel, and you know it to be true. You have been stirred up as a measure. You've known that there's a striving in your heart. You've come to some sort of little glimpse of a realization that you're in danger, that you're a sinner, that you should repent. And yet you soon find you don't know what to do next. You find that even if you were stirred up a little, you think I should pray. You don't know how to pray. If you start to pray, you don't know how to carry on praying. You try to seek the Lord, but you can't sustain a seeking of the Lord. And you fall back to your old ways so swiftly. You cannot hold that glimpse of Jesus that you caught perhaps in a gospel sermon. You can't hold the truth of your danger and the sense of your need. You can't. It, it passes like dry sand through your fingers. It escapes away and is gone. You can't grasp it for long enough to remember. Why did I even think I, should need, I needed to be converted? And it passes in a moment. And you go back to as you were. Man has this deep inability to go to Christ. 
and the whole thing fades from your mind. And that view that perhaps you seem to get of Christ, it tarnishes and just disappears as if it was a mirage. The initial fear of your own forthcoming judgment, damnation, and hell abates. Sin returns to its familiar pattern. Unbelief rules unconquered in your heart again. As fallen men and women, we have a total inability to come to Christ. And that leaves us to ask, what can be done in such a desperate case? And so we have our second point, which is the Father's drawing to Christ. No man can come to me except. Oh, what a wonderful exception. Except the Father which hath sent me draw him. In fact, the section that we read there covers repeatedly this process of bringing together sinner and Savior. And it's quite wonderful just to sort of scan over it quickly. For example, in verse 37, the father speaks about a gift that he makes to his son. What's the gift? It's a people bringing them together by means of the father's gift. All that the father giveth me shall come. These are a, what a gift the son receives, a people for himself, a people to love and to lead and to redeem and to ransom and to pardon and to protect. So here's one way how uh, we describe sinners coming and closing with Christ. They're gifted by the Father. But again, in verse 39, you have a similar process described. It's not the Father's gift that is emphasized in verse 39. It's the Father's will. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. It is for a purpose, then, that God gifts a people to his Son. He wills his Son to protect them, not to lose them, to keep them and to deliver them alive into life forever at the last day. That's a second way to describe how sinners end up with a Savior. It's God's will. But tonight our focus is on verse 44, where there's a third description of this matter, of how it is that sinners end up with a Savior. How are they brought together? And it's here, it gives this time the Father's involvement by describing it as the Father drawing these sinners to his Son. And this is the explanation that we're homed in on, I suppose, for tonight. And it gives a very precious picture. These words are wonderful and helpful, especially when we are in a sense of our need and desperation. The picture of the Father so working upon sinners, belligerent sinners, wicked sinners, fallen men and women, so as to make them love the Savior, to make them be drawn to the Savior, glad to see and interact with the Savior, showing them the need that they have of his salvation and showing them the way that Jesus meets that need and so drawing the two together. How can a sinner ever be drawn to the Lord? Here's what I would like you to think about today. Ask yourself this question. Am I 
being drawn to Christ? It's a serious question, an important question for our evening. Am I being drawn to Christ? And every one of us here can ask that question of ourselves. Boys and girls, men and women, deacons and elders, ministers and adherents, we can all ask, am I being drawn to Christ? There are different ways that God does this. The Father draws to his Son. Let's think of, am I being drawn to Christ through, for example, the strivings of the Spirit? One common way that God the Father draws chosen sinners to Christ, his Son, is by the Spirit. And we should not be surprised at all to find, as in matters of salvation, that all three persons of the Godhead are involved. The Father drawing to the Son by the Spirit. The sinner is a lost, broken, cursed soul who has no interest in the mercy of God or the provision of his salvation through his Son. But then the Spirit begins to work. And he begins to unsettle that soul in their life of sin. And he begins to convince you of the guiltiness of your sin, of the dangers of your sin. And he presses upon you your guilt. He may bring before you the fear of the punishment of your guilt upon the day of judgment. You become aware of something, as it were, tugging at you. Something pulling on the whole direction of your life, dissatisfying you with the way you've been going on the broad road that leads to destruction. It's an initial drawing here. This is not yet conversion. This is not salvation. It is, if you like, a reluctant drawing. This is the drawing of a child who's been pulled away from the danger of the fire that intrigues them, and they want to get closer to it, and the parent pulls them away. But their eye and their heart and their desire is still to go back to the fire. They have no thought what the parent is pulling them to, that it may be something better. They only want to return to the danger of the alluring fire. Have you known, friends, something of this kind of drawing where you've been loosened from the world and yet you still want the world? Be aware of what is happening in these moments when the Spirit strives with you. The Bible tells us, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Be careful that you do not resist the gracious work of the Spirit. Do not think that you know better than God, but ask him to show you the better thing that he is drawing you to. If he is drawing you away from your old life, from your old sins, perhaps from your old uh, lifestyle, from your unbelief, from your wickedness of heart, from your pride, from your uh, legalism, from your outward morality, but inward corruption, if he's drawing you away from it, ask him to show you what is it that he is drawing you to that you can see and be shown Christ for yourself, that you can desire Christ for yourself. That is one way of being drawn. As we say, a little. That is not the full drawing of the Spirit. Another way in which he draws, though, is through the raising up of Christ. The second way the Father draws us to Christ is by raising up Christ before our eyes, as it were, by giving us views of Christ as he really is. 
God knows the value of his son. God knows the beauty of his son. This is why he said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. He was raising up, as it were, Christ before their eyes to show them that they might look to him. God draws attention to his son for sinner's benefit. He does it in many different ways, of course. But nonetheless, he does it, and it happens. At times, he does it directly through the reading of the Bible, through the preaching of the gospel. At times, he does it through private prayer. And you see in Jesus what you never saw before. You begin to see something of the loveliness of Christ. You begin to see his compassion. You see, in the best sense, his humanity. You see that commitment and faithfulness and dependability and care. You see the pity. You see his love. You see now this death does mean something. It is not merely a gruesome event recorded in history. You see it now as an outrage of wicked hands taking him and to slay him. You see his healing of the sick as gentle, even moving, touching. You see his gospel appeals as coming from his heart. To sinners, he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We heard that from Mr. Kirkland a few weeks ago. And you soften towards him. You're being drawn to Christ. Other times it can be less direct, but nonetheless real in the, in, the, in the care of the providence of God. Perhaps it is in the prayer of a godly mother or a father or a friend for you. And you know that they're praying for you. You may even hear them pleading with Jesus for your soul. They might not have to directly name you, but you know that you're in their prayers. You know that you're in their heart. And you're glad for that prayer. And you're humbled to think that Jesus may trouble himself with the likes of you. In such times, he seems nearer than before, more tangible, more real. Maybe even in your heart, you find a sort of half-hidden secret wish that the prayer will be answered and that God will convert you. And it all seems closer than it ever was. And thou art not far from the kingdom of God. But it may be in some providence that the Lord uses. When trial comes, some difficulty looms in your life and you can't get around it. And what you know is that you need help. Help from someone stronger, mightier, better than you. And you know that the help you need can only come from God, that no one else can give it to you. And the Lord Jesus seems to know your needs before you even ask and to offer you his help before you've cried. And you're drawn to that kindness and embrace of his care. And so the raising up of Christ in these ways, in your life and before your eyes, is one great way by which the sinner is drawn to him. And the question to be turned to it is this. Is this happening to you, friend? Is this happening? Are you being drawn to Christ? Perhaps little by little, more and more, is an interest turning into an affection? Is an affection giving rise to a love? Is he lovely to you, in other words? 
Ask yourself, what is Christ to me? What is Christ to my soul? Do you look of Christ? Do you think of Christ and despise him? Do you think of Christ and hate him? Do you think of Christ and ignore him? Do you think of Christ and reject him? Do you hold him at arm's length? Or are these things you recognize as being in your experience, but not now? Now would you have to say, I'm being drawn to him. Or again, are you being drawn to Christ through the love of God constraining us, overwhelming us? At other times, we can be drawn to Christ because his love simply seems to have taken hold of us, have picked us up and carried us along. And we are conscious of becoming overwhelmed in our defenses, all the defenses we had against the gospel, all the reasons why we weren't going to be Christians, the life we wanted to live, the way we wanted to live it, the people we wanted to live it with, the way we were to assert our own independence, all these things can come crumbling down because they are washed away by a tidal wave of divine love to the sinner. It's almost as if we cannot help ourselves, but we are swept along to the Lord, drawn to him on this tsunami of divine love. And we see his love everywhere. We see his love it has been born into the world for sinners such as we are. We see his love in the, the ministry that he carried out and in the way he carried it out and in the words that he declared and in the miracles that he worked and in the suffering that he endured and in the cross and the death that he died. We see it everywhere. We see it in his resurrection. We see it in his meeting with his disciples on the road to Emmaus and his meeting with Peter and the way he handled them. We are conscious of the love Shown on the cross, the Lord's love and suffering for us. We are drawn to him. And it is his love that has sort of entirely gotten a hold of you. And you cannot deny it. You may have many doubts about your love for him. That's a different question. But you're brought to say, ah, oh, but I can see his love. <laughs> And I can see his loveliness. You cannot deny his love. You see it with your own eyes. You, you know it there. You may be shy. You may be uneasy, uncomfortable, unsure to say any more about daring to assert that you love him. But we can be flooded from the windows of heaven and overwhelmed by the grand discovery that God is love. And in everything he has done, he has manifested his love towards us. And it astonishes. It surprises. It catches us off guard. It leaves you in a bit of a state of shock. But you cannot but admit it. His love is touching me, affecting me, impacting me, getting a hold of me, getting under my skin. You may not realize it even, friend, but this is what is happening. You are being drawn to Christ. And again, he may draw you in difficult circumstances through the urgency of our case, stirring us. In all this discovery of Christ objectively, if you like, you see what he is, you see what he has done, you see how he has done it. But there's something also often happening subjectively when we're being drawn to Christ. What is happening inwardly, whilst we see Christ and are shown his love, 
and become convinced of his love for the lost. Often at the very same time, what is happening is this. We are becoming compelled to admit our own need and its greatness and our sins and their abundance and their filthiness and their ugliness and the justice of our condemnation and the reality of our guilt and the unworthiness of our persons. A sinner who at the same time as they see the love of God evidenced in Jesus Christ, often also at the same time sees the ruin that their own sin has brought upon them. In a word, the more we see his loveliness, the more we see how unlovely we are. And that, you might think, would keep us away from Christ. But remember the magnets. It is the opposite ends that attract. And our unloveliness is met perfectly by his loveliness. We see our depravity. We see our need. We see our hopelessness. We see we have too long resisted his spirit. We have refused Christ under the gospel. We saw no beauty in him. How did we not see it? We see that our unbelief is wicked. We see that our hearts are sinful and deceitful above all things. We see our damnation as being just. We see our lives so short and eternity so long. We see the day of judgment coming on apace with alarm and hell approaches with fear and dread. But even this can be the drawing of the father for a sinner to his son. Even this is him showing you why you need him and showing you why he alone can help you and meet that need. What draws you to him is your need of him and his suitability to save a sinner such as you. He is all that you need. He is all that you could desire. He is all that God himself requires of you. He is all and so suitable and so near. And so ready, and so willing, and so gentle, and so reassuring, and so full of the promises and graces of God, and so quick to help. Friends, you are being drawn to the Son. You will also discover you're being drawn through a changing of your affections. Not only a discovery of your sinfulness. But a changing of one of the sweetest experiences of being drawn to the sun is when you come to the slightly surprising confession I love him. I despise him no more. I reject him no more. I neglect him no more. I dismiss him no more. You discover in your soul what wasn't there before. What has been born into your heart by the Father's drawing, which is a love to Christ. You dare now to believe that you love him because he first loved you. You dare to offer Peter's answer, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee, not perfectly, 
with foolishness, with denials at times, but thou knowest that I love thee. My heart is not at all what it ought to be, but it is not at all what once it was. I'm ashamed of how I once thought of thee. I grieve over how I used to treat the Savior when he knocked upon the door of my heart, and I derided his call, and I ill-treated his messengers. I used to laugh at Christians who spoke to me about my soul. Now I bless God for them. I find my feelings greatly changed and altered. In fact, altered entirely. What has happened to you? The Father has now drawn you to his Son. What a wonderful experience. And briefly as we close, we want to know why. Don't you want to know why? Why does the Father do this? Why does he draw unlovely, filthy sinners to his lovely, beautiful son? Thirdly then, the Father's purpose. Why? The Father's purpose. And if we turn once more to the wider context, verse 39. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Again in verse 40, this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And again, their text, verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is the will of the Father that by drawing his gift of a people to his Son, the Son should raise up these poor sinners at the last day. This is exactly what the Son proposes and promises to do. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. God draws you to his Son, so at the last, his Son will raise you up to heaven to be with him forever, instead of cast you down to be hell, to hell, where he will know you no more forever. God works so in the heart of a sinner, making you fall in love with the Lord Jesus, so that you are spared the wrath of God, delivered from the law and the curse of God, and will spend all the years of forever with him in heaven, and with his Son, and with the rest of his people, and with the angels and the archangels praising him. It is that wonderful. This is the why. It is so kind and so gracious. It is so loving. The Father draws you to the Son in order to spare you from hell and to bring you into heaven by raising you up so that you will know his Son better and love his Son more and more and more and more forever so that he will raise you up. Friends, I don't believe that the word of God is ever pointless I don't believe it is ever useless. I don't believe it is ever empty or returns to him void. It accomplishes whatsoever he pleases. Is there not therefore here tonight a single soul, just one soul? And you know that this is true for you. That the Lord Jesus has, the Lord God has drawn you to his son, Jesus. You know it's not of you that this has happened. You didn't do it. 
It's clearly not going to come from your sin. Your sin's going to send you nowhere to the Lord. It's not a sinful thing. Hasn't comes from the world. They don't know him. It's certainly not coming from Satan. Where does it come from? It's the Father's work. He has shown you his Son, drawn you to him with cords of love that are irresistible. How is he doing it, you might ask? How am I being so drawn to Christ when I was so full of the world and so taken up with the world and so full of sin? How has this happened? It's happened by God's love. His love is strong. Strong enough to pull you away and draw you away from all your sins. How is he doing it? You might say, well, yes, but why? Why me? Do you know why he does it? To raise you up to heaven the last day. So that he can make you into a perfect gift for his son. A brand plucked from the burning. A soul saved from hell. Delivered from sin. Perfected by grace. Glorified by his redemption. And brought before him as his bride. That's why. And you will spend the endless day of eternity being drawn to the Lord Jesus more and more and more. And you will never get enough of him. Oh, friends, are you drawn to this Christ tonight? Give thanks to God. Call on his name if so. Confess his wonder-working power who draws sinners such as we to a saviour such as he. May he bless his word. Let us pray. Lord, our God, we thank thee for that power, that divine drawing power of God the Father working upon us and bringing us to his Son. It is mysterious still. We could look at this verse for 10,000 years and we'd find more and more to marvel in it. But we bless thee for the truth of it, for the certainty that it is an unbreakable word. And this is exactly what thou dost do. God draws sinners to his Son. May we love the Savior and the hand of the Father that drew us to his sweet Son. In Jesus' name, amen.